Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. Good morning. How are you guys? Oh, man, it's so good to see you guys. Uh, We weren't here last week, which was weird on Valentine's Day that we weren't able to celebrate our love together. Uh, Missed you very much. And I was actually gone the week before, um, and and Topher filled in and and was really good, and and, uh, I hope you got a lot out of his message. If you didn't go... um, if you didn't get a lot out of it, try again. Uh, but if you didn't hear it at all, go back and listen to it um, that we have posted online. Uh, really, really good. Um, but yeah, things have happened. We've had a lot of snow and ice and things going on here in the Richmond area. And so uh, we haven't been able to be together, but it's good to be back together. One thing also happened Oh, I'm, that I meant to celebrate uh, today uh, that also happened over the last couple of weeks because... Um, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have not been in the playoffs since Area 10 was a church, like uh, since 2007. So really, I've had no football to talk about from the stage past December, ever, really, since the history of this church. So this is my chance, y'all. I'm going ha- to take a moment here and celebrate. No, we're not going to do all that, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, so I've been in- enjoying that and watching every little highlight that I can. Um, a-, a lot of y'all said it was a boring Super Bowl. Not to me, it wasn't. It was fantastic. All right, I am going to talk about something today that um, I would say it's controversial. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, um, but I do want to give you the opportunity, if you want to ask questions about the message today, to text them to the number that we will have on the screen. You can text these questions in if you have questions, and I will try to come back at the end of the message, at the end of the, of the, of the time this morning, and answer those questions if you have any, uh, because uh, there's some stuff that we're going to get into that you might have some, some questions about. Uh, but let me just pray before we dive into all that. Lord, thank you for another day. Thank you for um, sunshine and the vitamin D into our skin. I thank you for vaccines and for hope and for uh, a, better, a better season ahead of us. Thank you for the coming of spring. Um, and God, thank you for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, because it's my prayer, and I can pray that. So we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You just be glad I didn't pray against the Dallas Cowboys, you guys. I'm not, I'm not trying to stir it up here. That's controversial. Don't text me about that. All right, here's what I think. Christians should be countercultural. Christian people should stand against the culture in some ways. Um, we should be different. We should be set apart. Uh, the word in Scripture for that is holy. There should be something different about us. If, if I look at you and you look and act the same as everybody who's not a Christian around you in culture, then there's probably nothing all that different about you. If, you. if you listen to the exact same music, you talk the same way, you watch the same shows, you spend your money the same way, you spend your time the same way, and there's nothing different, then it's probably an indicator that you aren't really following around this ancient Jewish rabbi. Because if you're following this ancient Jewish rabbi and the way he walks and you're a disciple of him, you're going to do some things differently than, than all of your neighbors, or at least that should be the case. But Christianity has a challenge in our modern culture in that our message of Jesus is actually a bit unpopular in, in the mainstream culture. The views that come with our faith are, are not the most popular ones and are not current with the times. The, Christianity has a view of sexuality and gender that our modern American culture would say, oh, that's aggressive. Why would you believe those kind of things, right? There's some views like that. Christianity 
views uh, money and, and some other things differently than the rest of the culture. And the culture goes, why would you spend your money that way? That's a waste. And why would you give to those causes? That's a waste. Like, we, we look at some things differently. And in some cases, the way we look at things as Christians in American culture that makes them our views kind of un, unpopular. But our views are actually, in many ways, the Christian views are not distinct enough to be attractive. You see, in the ancient world, the Romans thought the Christians were weird and sad and different and distinct and because Christians did things like only had one man and one woman in a marriage instead of having like sex slaves and, and, and mistresses and all this kind of stuff. And so the Romans looked at the Christians like these people are uptight or, you know, really hung up on this stuff. Like, the Romans thought that Christians were atheists because they didn't believe in all the Roman gods. The Romans thought that Christians were cannibals because they came together and allegedly ate the body and blood of Jesus. And so they did not have a, a popular view, um, uh, the, a popular standing in the Roman Empire. The Christians didn't. Um, but here's the deal. Over time, the Christian view won out in the Roman Empire because really what they were doing was offering an attractive alternative to the culture. Their, their view of marriage was better for men and better for women in that day. Their view of caring for children uh, was better for children and allowed them to flourish. Their view of money put them in better financial position and they took care of one another. And eventually, the Christian worldview was seen as a beautiful thing as it sort of won the day in the culture. That's not where we're at in America. If I was to put it in musical terms, Christianity is not cutting-edge music. It's not like, you know, something cool like Frank Ocean. You're like, oh, you listen to Frank Ocean, that's cool. Like, it's not, it's not that. And it's not retro cool like big band swing. Like, Christianity is not like the Glenn Miller Orchestra. You're like, oh, you listen to Glenn Miller. That's like retro cool. Christianity fits in this space in American culture that's like third-eye blind. We're like, it's like, oh, do you like third-eye play? Yeah, I love third-eye. I mean... So did I 20 years ago, but that's weird, man. Like, are you still into that? Like, that's where Christianity kind of sits in culture right now. And rather than double down on third eye blind and double down on what would Jesus do bracelets and double down on purity pro pro promises and all of this Christian culture stuff and like bring back, you know, make VeggieTales great again, rather than, <laughs> okay, I could be convinced, but rather than do that, how about we, we just do the Jesus stuff? We be the Jesus people who do the very regular, uncool, maybe unpopular things of just following Jesus as disciples in our day-to-day -day lives and live it out faithfully day after day for our whole lives. There's, there, there's a rhythm to this, and this is what we want to get into in this series. We're starting this series today called Rhythms, and, and we want to look at almost from a musical standpoint, the idea of the discipline of music, but there are disciplines that you engage to live out your faith and to be different, to be set apart. And these are disciplines that Christians have engaged for thousands of years to help them uh, unplug from the, the mess and the noise and the distractions of our culture. And so we're going to talk about these disciplines, these rhythms that will help us form spiritually. Um, and we want to incorporate them into our lives. Even the word incorporate has the word corp in the middle, right? Which is Latin for body. The idea that we would incorporate these rhythms means these are things we want to bring into our body and make them part of, our, of, of how we live, of how we walk, of how we, of how we do life. So today, we're going to get into these different rhythms over the next few weeks, but today I want to put it all in one big package and, and talk about the concept of identity. And I think there is... No, um, there's no 
concept in America that's maybe more controversial right now, a bigger, a bigger topic than our identity of, of, of who we are. It, it's, it's kind of everything. It's the reason we fight about our politics is because it goes down into our identity. It's the reason we have protests and riots and all these things because there's a piece of our identity that's wrapped up. And, and we, take, we end up taking um, things that probably should just be like public policy discussions and we take them very personally because they are lodged into our identity. Even Michael Jordan thinks we are taking things a little too personally right now. Like that's how personally we are taking things. Okay, you don't get the joke. That's fine. Watch the documentary. Uh, we, we, are, we are way over the top on identity in our culture and we believe certain lies about who we are. Because if I challenge what you believe, that's fine. But if, if when I challenge something that you believe, you think your belief is actually who you are, well, that's a whole different thing. Now I'm like hitting you at the core, right? Henry Nouwen, a Christian uh, writer and, and thinker, he, he, he said there are five lies that our culture believes about identity. And I, and I want to just give them to you and see if these don't ring true for kind of where we sit in our cultural moment now. Lie number one is this. I am what I have. I am what I have. So I am defined by my car, what kind of car it is, uh, my house, what kind of neighborhood I live in, you know, kind of where, uh, where kids are going to school. And, and like my accumulation of stuff defines me. I am the, 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 the to- totality of all of these products. Now, you may think, man, nobody really thinks they are what they have. But man, don't people get a little over the top on their stuff, don't they? You've ever met like a really rabid Mac user? That's like really obsessed about it. When you, yes, some of you identify this way. Um, when, you, when you see that, you go, oh, this isn't just like I, I prefer these products. It's, it becomes an identity piece. And next thing you know, you're wearing like black turtlenecks and washed jeans or whatever. Like it's, it's weird. There's an identity piece where you identify with I am what I have. Secondly, I am what I do. This is also another lie we tell about identity. I am what I do. I, I am a pastor. It's my job. I am, and then you insert your job here. And this is like the first question we ask at parties, right? Hey, so we're chatting. What's your name? Yeah, yeah, cool. We get to know someone. Oh, what do you do? Because as soon as I know what you do, now I know who you are. Oh, you're a doctor. Well, let me show you my mole or whatever, you know, like we do. Poor doctors. Uh, or, but like, you're a doctor. Oh, you, you make this money. You do these things. You support these kind of causes. Oh, you're a teacher. You must make this money and you do these things and you support these things. Like, we, we take what you do and we make it the, almost the totality of who you are. And it's, and it's dangerous. It becomes an identity for us. And if you think, man, that's not me. I, I don't, I'm not my, that thing that I do. I mean, I have a job. Think about it this way. If it was taken away from you and you no longer had that job, would that be a crisis for you? And I don't mean like, would the loss of income be a crisis? Sure, that's a problem. But I mean, if you're no longer able to be that thing, then what are you? Is there anything left? And if it makes you really uncomfortable, oh, I'm not that thing, so what am I? It it might be that you've bought into the lie that I am what I do. Another one. I am what other people say or think of me. It's a lie, but it's, we wear that as an identity. So whatever label was placed on you as a child or maybe in your young adulthood or maybe later years, a label is placed on you, people say you're this, and that is who you are, and you think of yourself in those terms. I've been doing spiritual biographies with two groups, discipleship groups that I'm meeting with, 
and hearing people's stories of, of their whole lives broken up by decade. Okay, this happened and this happened and this happened. And here's where God showed up in these different aspects of my life. And I've been hearing these stories and I am uh, just shocked sometimes when I hear how much a loose-lipped teacher or uh, school administrator or parent or friend or brother or whatever, like somebody said something to you in seventh grade and three decades later, you're still talking about it. Like it still matters to you. You still think, you still remember it, and it's still stuck somewhere inside. And, and so much of your life has been reacting against it. Like that stuff is real, and, and, and it's an identity stuff. I am what other people think or, or say about me. Another lie we believe, I am nothing more than my worst moment. So you sin, you blow it, we've all blown it. You mess up, you've done something wrong, and you had a bad day, you had a bad week, you had a bad year, right? You, you, like things went off the rails for you. And, and it becomes an identity thing when we take the pain of that and we make it the shame of that, and, and we just live that we are that thing. So, so you got a divorce, and so for the rest of your life, you're like, oh, I am that person. I am a failure at marriage. And that's hard because the people you may have hurt, they only see you as the person who hurt them, and there's no room for growth or change there. But you may have grown, but they still see you there. And so a lot of times we get very stuck there. We go, I am nothing more than my worst moment. That's, that's who I am. I am this kind of failure. And on the flip side of that, the last lie we believe about identity is this. I am nothing less than my best moment. I am not just I had a success I am successful. Not that I, I achieve something. I am basically walking achievement. Not that I accomplish, thing, uh, accomplish something. I smell like accomplishment. I just, this is who I am. And that's deep in us as well. That is driven by uh, a, a culture that celebrates everything for you all the time. Like it used to be you celebrated high school graduation. Yeah, you graduated, which is a little weird. You're sort of matriculating through the system. Like we know it's going to happen. You're all going to get there, but let's celebrate. Go you. Okay, cool. And I know for some of you, you're like, it was, a, it was an accomplishment that I got to that, that day. I get it. All right. But now we're celebrating eighth grade. But, but now we're celebrating fifth grade. Now we're celebrating kindergarten as graduation. Like what are we celebrating in kindergarten for your graduation? That you got all the letters right? that you learn one through 10, that you can identify colors, like why is everything a celebration, right? What is going on? This is, we, we, are, we are building it up. You are this amazing. You are incredible. This is what we're, we're telling people. Maybe we think we're doing it from a healthy sort of psychological profile of like, we want people to be, uh, you know, um, secure in, in, their, in their identity and all that. So we just tell people they're just amazing from childhood. And it's, it's weird. I mean, it's even before you were born. I'm old enough to remember when you just, a gender reveal was you just told people we're having a boy. Now, like you burned down California for a gender reveal. Like, what is going on? Uh, it, it's, it's gotten so weird out there. And it's led us to believe that that my best moment. That's who I am. I'm a, I'm a success, which feels like a great uh, adjustment from I'm terrible and I'm my worst moment, but there's something out of whack there as well. What we need is a realistic view of our own identity, a sober understanding of this is who I am, and to be 
comfortable and secure and to stand in it. Because so much of the fighting and the, and the disagreement and the challenges that I see in culture everywhere comes from a place of I am insecure where I stand. I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable in my identity. And everything you say pushes me off of it and I don't like it. So I'm going to fight back really, really hard. To get a realistic view of who we actually are, let me give it to you. See, um, if I can give it to you in this, in this clean statement. Um, you are not who you say you are. You are not who they say you are. You are who God says you are. You're not who you say you are. You don't go inside and, and form your own identity and go, well, I'm going to be whatever I want to be because if you, it, because, um, if you go inside, uh, that's got problems. That is sort of our modern psychological approach. Go inside, you discover you, you do you, be yourself, find yourself. Uh, that's kind of what we say. And you get to decide who you are, ignore all the haters, ignore all the critics, insert inspirational meme right here about how you should be who you want to be and all all of that kind of stuff. That's what we tell people. You, and, and the truth is, no, you're not who you say you are because that is slavery. That is you being enslaved to your mood that day, what you had for breakfast, how much sleep you got last night, what you saw on that blog. All of that stuff uh, enslaves you to you, to your opinion. So then, and so then the, the alternative is you are who they say you are. You can't be that because then you're always slaves to their opinion. Oh, I am who they say I am, which means I need more likes in, on my Instagram. Please like my recent. Please, like the begging for attention of like, I need you to like me because I am my, my well-being, my resilience, my strength comes from how you respond to me entirely. My identity is built effectively on on you. And that's, that's not going to work. That, 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 that others define you, that's not going to work. That you define you, that's a formula for depression and anxiety and, and slavery and dysphoria and all sorts of struggles. And the culture is screaming this stuff at us. It's telling us that you get to define you. Um, and don't listen to the haters and, and all that kind of stuff. It's screaming that stuff through Disney movies, through, um, through music, it's screaming it through books, through, through articles and blogs, through social media. It, it, it's telling um, teens and kids uh, that you get to decide everything about yourself. And I get why that's a, an alternative to everyone else gets to decide who you are. I get that. Um, but I don't think it works. It doesn't really work. Actually, the, the point of having a society at all the point of having a family is that you are not born in a vacuum to, you know, to no one. You are born into some sort of tribe, and it is the responsibility of the people around you in the tribe to at least point you to something that says who you are, it, it, to, to at least say, this is where we come from, and, and, and I would say point you to God and say, this is who God made you to be, rather than have the child and then let the child decide everything about themselves. That's terrifying. What kid would, can do that? How, how can we actually let children say, you decide everything about you? That doesn't work. If I let my kids form their own identity completely, they would identify as people who don't eat vegetables. And I would be like, you're gonna, sorry, you're, that's not gonna work. That's not how, that's not how this goes. I don't understand why, 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 why parents let kids be in the driver's seat 
on identity. I understand for career, be who you want to be. We have a female vice president. That's super cool. I get it. Like, do the thing. Go, go be something uh, as far as a career. Go do a thing. But your identity, who you are at your core, you're not winging that. And, and it's not going to be good to just make that up. Don't let, don't let kids drive the identity bus. My, my point is this. Identity can't be pulled entirely from the inside that you decide who you are. And it can't be pulled entirely from our peers or from just another person around us and let them define who we are. There's got to be something greater. And this is where I want to point you to God. When we find our identity, when we say, I am who God says I am, this idea brings freedom. If you're formed by others, you're slaves to their opinions. If you're formed by yourself, you're slaves to your emotion. But if you're formed by God, if your identity is formed by God, there's, there's a depth there, there's a strength, there's a resilience to it. And I see this in all demographics. This isn't just for teenagers or young adults. I see all demographics struggling a little bit with identity in our culture right now. And I want to tell you, don't go off to the woods to find yourself. Here's how you find yourself. If, if I gave you a car and you want to know what the car is for and how it works, you would go to the owner's manual. It's in the glove box. Look in there. It'll tell you everything you know about the car because the people who made the car are telling you this is how the car works. If I point you to a painting, you and I can have differing opinions of what the painting means and how it, how it lands on me and how it occurs to me and I wonder what the artist was thinking. But if you want to know what the painting is, what's really going on with the painting, you have to talk to the painter. You go to the artist and you say, what were you thinking? What did this mean? Why did you do it this way? Same thing with music. If you want to know about the music, the song can mean something to you, but what did they mean when they wrote the song? This is what we do. When you want to know the, the value of something, when you want to know the identity of the thing, the purpose of the thing, the meaning of the thing, you go to the creator of the thing and you say, what is it for? What are you doing here? Because we can all have opinions on what it's for, but talk to the one who made it. And this is where I want to take you to a foundational text in the scripture. Because uh, I, I heard um, a pastor in, in, in New York City say this, we need to get a deep grasp on the gospel in order to be yourself in Christ. Get a deep grasp on the gospel in order to be yourself in Christ. So how do we do that? It's not gonna be just taking one more personality test, although those can be useful, uh, or, or just polling your friends, although sometimes that can be useful. But to get to the hardest thing, we have to go to the foundational truth from the one who actually created us. And I want to take you back to a text that I've, I've read a lot from the stage, and it's, it's just so key to who we are. Genesis 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth and, and animals and land and all this stuff, and then he creates humanity, and this is what it says. 126, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Our creator started this way and said, I'm going to put mankind on the earth, and he does it with a, with a binary system, 
male and female, that are supposed to come together and that reflect the, the beautiful image of God there, created in his, in his image. This is how God created us. So to, to start with, to look at where do we come from, this is, this is the thing. God created us this way, male and female, and he, and he meant for us to come together, and he says, and he actually gives them work to do, be fruitful and multiply. We're supposed to come together and make more to, to reproduce and to, and to rule over, to have dominion over the fish and the land and all that, like to take care of the earth that he has, has put us on here. Um, now, a couple things to notice. Yes, it is male and female. There's t- two biological sexes. That shouldn't be controversial today. Um, the and the gender goes along with that. Now, I understand there's a whole conversation to be had about gender expression. I get it. Not every man is going to dress like a lumberjack and, and cut things. Uh, not every woman is trying to be a supermodel and doing like, that whole thing, right? Like, you don't have to fit exactly in those categories. Um, there are men that love show tunes. I have been known to bust a few out myself. There are women who are fantastic with power tools. My wife can out-carpentry me all day long. That's okay. There's different expression within gender. But at the end of the day, there are men and there are women. And those are different things that have complementary strengths and gifts that come together to represent the image of God. And they both bring something to the table and tell us something about our creator. So that's a start of identity who are we, and really, like, what are we for? What is going on here with our time uh, uh, on the earth? But if that is the blueprint of humanity, that is like humanity 1.0, there were some problems that came up along the way. And so we need to talk about humanity 2.0 because there's been some new releases and some updates to the, to the process here, and uh, some things have, have gone wrong. And to do that, I want to point you to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this text. I just want to read it to you. Um, it really is a great summation of, of, of the gospel. Remember, the, the, the pastor in, in, in New York was saying, get a deep grasp on the gospel in order to be ourselves in Christ. Um, Ephesians 2 is a great summary of that. We actually went through it in greater detail back in the summer, so I don't want to spend a bunch of time on it. But I, I do want to read this to you because I think this gives us a, a good sense also uh, maybe a bigger picture of who we are besides just the original operating instructions and original um, m- mission from God. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1, let me just read you the first 10 verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It strikes me as I read this that this is almost a summary or a commentary on what we just read in Genesis in the sense that he said we are created in Christ and then he says for good works. Like God has a plan for us. He's got things for us to do, uh, things that we should be walking out in our, in our lives. And so he's, he's telling a bit of that story, but he's also talking about the fall of man, that we were dead in our sins. You and I have sinned. Uh, we have blown it. We have rebelled against God. There have been moments throughout our lives where God says, I want you to do this. And we say, I know better and I'm going to do it my way. And I don't really care about your way. And all of us have, have done that. And what this text tells us is, yes, that is the case. But also this is the case that Christ has stepped in when we were in that situation. Christ looked at us and he loved us, and he forgave us, and he died for our sins on the cross. It is by God's grace, God's, God's initial move towards us that we have been saved, and we can be in a relationship with him uh, through faith. And, and so, um, really, a, a way to think of this is, uh, is this. In, in, when we talk about identity, the truth is this. We are broken, and it's worse than you think, and we are loved, it's better than you think. It's, 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 a, powerful, it's a powerful thing. And, and our response to be of that should be humility and gratitude. We should be the people, when we are walking out this identity in Christ, we should be the people who have humility and gratitude. Wouldn't that be great to have humility and gratitude in your life? Like, if you were the person, if, if people thought of you and they said, man, that, that woman is so humble and, and, so, and so thankful and gracious, that guy, he's just, he's walking humility. He's, he's just always expressing gratitude. Like, wouldn't that be a great thing to be said about us? Let me ask it this way. Wouldn't it be great if your spouse was humble and showed a lot of gratitude? Wouldn't it be great if your boyfriend was? Wouldn't it be great if your teacher at school was humble and showed gratitude? Wouldn't it be great if your boss had a lot of humility and, and gratitude? Wouldn't it be great if your coworkers had a lot of humility and gratitude? Here's the deal. Wouldn't it be great if humanity lived this way? that we were humble people who show a lot of gratitude. And I think this text can get us there. When you realize that you were a sinner and that you've burned it down, that should drive humility and that should be a part of your identity. When someone comes up to you and says, you suck, you go, it's worse than you think. Right? What are they going to tell you? How bad what you are by nature an object of God's wrath, it says. Oh, I ticked you off? Bro, you don't even know how bad it is. I, I've blown it cosmically, and I've burned it down with other people. That should drive a sense of humility in us, because we know we're not amazing. We are not. We know our worst moments. We know we're not incredible. We go, oh, I, I, I have, I, I've messed up. We should have humility there. But we should also have gratitude. Oh man, look what God did for me. Look how, that God loved me, that God saved me, that God still desires, in spite of all the messed up stuff, God still desires a relationship with me. It's powerful. It's powerful to be aware of your sin and know that it's worse than you think 
And you don't have to, this doesn't mean you deflect all criticism. If someone wants to criticize you, be like, no, I'm not going to listen to that because it's worse than you think. Like, no, it's okay, but it, the criticism doesn't have to destroy you because, because your identity is wrapped up in this idea that it's worse than you think, but you're more loved than you think. And there's, there's a beautiful tension there. I think the root of conflict that you see in America today, and probably in the West, maybe in a lot of the world, the root of our conflict is, is we are so wrapped up in very fragile identities. So people lash out over masks or no masks because it becomes an identity thing for us. I'm the kind of person who, does, who acts this way. I am this person. We lash out over who is the president and who isn't the president. We lash out over our best strategy for public schools. And, we, and, and when people are lashing out at each other, I, I don't look at that and think, well, here's a bunch of very resilient, secure people who are very comfortable in their own skin, who are sharing differences of public policy in a non-threatening way. Mostly what it looks like is, you know, cornered dogs lashing out because we're scared. And I get why we're scared. There's a whole, there's a whole fear complex at work in our culture. I, I, I get that. But I think how we get there as the followers of Christ is how we get to this scared dog in the corner kind of thing is because we have not internalized the gospel. The culture certainly hasn't, but I think Christians haven't either. We just go, well, the gospel's Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me soul. So, done, and, and I'm good with that, and I'm, I'm going to sing, and, and then we're going to go to lunch, and, and that's, that's the gospel. Um, but we need to root it in there deep, in, in the truth of it, and let it affect of our identity. Our identity in Christ means that I have humility, I'm a sinner, and gratitude, thank you for saving me. In fact, at the end of Ephesians 2.10, um, it, it, it says we are God's workmanship. And I love that word. The word workmanship um, is the Greek word poema, which is, which is another where we get our word po- poetry. So it's saying we are God's poetry. We are God's great uh, art. We are God's magnum opus, this beautiful piece of music that he has written. That's who we are. That's what the scripture says about us. We are his song. God has created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the galaxies, the mountains and all of the things in all of creation. And mankind is like the cherry on top. And we need to remember that because we ain't looking so good right now, mankind. Not looking so good. When you see people burning down police stations, it's not looking so good. When you see people storming the Capitol so they can take a selfie in the chambers, it's not looking so good. When you see people getting gunned down or shooting unarmed people and, and, and some of the, the stuff that's flying around in culture right now, it's, it's not good. Mankind doesn't look great. And Christians, we need to remember the truth of who we are. We are the people who, um, we are uh, sinners saved by grace. We are uh, broken, but we are loved. And, and that should make us march to the beat of a different drummer. Christians are people who should be connecting into the rhythms of God. It's like there's a song, right? It's like there's this melody that plays. And Christians should be able to hear it wherever you go. It, it's pointing us to God and, and, and drawing us back to him. It's, 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 the, it's the melody you hear when you hold a newborn child. It's, it's the melody you hear when you see a sunset, when you stand in front of the mountains. It's the melody you hear over a great meal or when you share time with friends. 
It's, it's, it's the noise, it's, it's the sound, it's the song of God. And it's always there in the background when you wake up and when you go to sleep, it's always there. But what happens is a bunch of noise comes in and starts to crowd that melody out. And you stop hearing it because the noise sounds like all the things you've heard from your childhood. You are a bad kid. You are a bad brother. You're a bad son. You're a bad sister. You're a bad mother. You're a bad father. You're a bad spouse. All that noise that you've heard. And it's worse than that. You have bad politics. You've chosen the wrong side. You vote for terrible people. You're on the wrong side of every issue. And not and, and, and it's not just you've chosen poorly. It's just that you are a bad person. And this is the noise. These are the things that we've heard over and over. And we forget who we are. And we can't hear the song anymore. But I think if we can pull back and unplug and refresh and recreate our souls, we can hear the music again. And we can remember who we truly are in Christ. Starting next week, I, I want to I do that. I want to talk about, here are some very specific disciplines that we can do so we can learn to block out the noise and start hearing God's melody again. Let's pray. God, may we be the people who hear the sound, who hear your song playing. And God, may we be people who feel that in our core, that is our, de- our identity, and that, that we are who you say we are. We are not who they say we are. We are not who we say we are. We are who you say we are. God, help us to know that and feel it and live it this week. God, there's so much grasping at straws of identity right now. Um, May we be people who walk a different road than that. May we march to a different drummer and, and feel a different rhythm in the world. God, thank you for loving us, reaching out for us while we were still sinners, dying for us. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.